0: Welcome to the Transportation Podcast, brought to you by Market Scale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Adrenaline. Exhilaration. Focus. For a professional racer, life behind the wheel is a wild ride. Literally. Especially in Formula Drift, the level of attention is raised to new heights. And this translates right back to the car, too, where racers take great pride in the contents under the hood that help make them unstoppable forces on the track. Here to tell us about his history as a racer and why it's so important for racers to find a personal connection with souping up their vehicles is Justin Pollock, a Formula Drift driver and CNR Racing brand ambassador. Justin, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, thank you.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to get this point of view from a racer of, you know, why they upgrade their vehicle, what sort of things they look for when upgrading their vehicle and, uh, why building that relationship with a brand like CNR racing is so important for making sure your vehicle is at top notch quality. So let's start with your history though. I'd like to know, how did you get started in racing? You know, what, what drew you to it in the first place?
1: Well, I think it's just the general uh, interest in competition. I think my want to compete stemmed from playing, uh, you know, ball sports in, in high school, uh, soccer and baseball and, and that sort of thing, and even into college. And then when, when that part of my life was over, I was looking at what was next, and, and that was obviously the, the progression that I had was into uh, cars and motorsports. I played around with building a uh, like kind of a street slash drag car in high school and uh you know that was a, a lot of fun and then kind of got away from that as street racing isn't probably the smartest thing to be doing and I, I came across this sport that was called drifting and it definitely uh interested me from the get go the ability to build basically a show car but then drive the wheels off of it. Um, so you're, you know, building something that looks really nice, but then also needs to perform. Um, and I think drifting has a lot of style in the car build, the style of driving, everything inclusive. And I think that's what really, like, drew me to it. I, I definitely respect uh, traditional style racing and, like, high-end, you know, Grand Am and, and even Indy or F1 stuff. Um, but in, the reality of things is that that takes a ton of budget and you know i was just trying to be realistic as as to what i could possibly go after being a car builder and that sort of thing and with the budget that i was working on and and that brought me to drifting and so
0: what about drift racing specifically compared to other racing makes it more intense for you more interesting you know what it gets your blood going gets your blood
1: pumping basically well drifting is one of those sports that you have to be on point The entire time there's no corner that you you have to like make up time or or whatnot Um, that is the beauty of traditional racing is that you can make a mistake on one corner and lose you know a couple tenths but then you have multiple corners to make that up in our sport you miss a corner and you're done your weekend is over um and our runs are anywhere from 30 to 45 seconds so it's super intense concentration and being uh, like basically one with your vehicle for that period of time. And then going right back to the starting line and having to do it either uh, in front or behind another car, inches away from the car, inches away from the wall. Again, having to be completely on point, not making any mistakes um, to progress through the bracket. That's so difficult. I feel
0: you know, having to be so aware of not only how you're handling your car, but also, like you said, you are inches away from other vehicles that are doing the same thing in the wall. You know, you have to be, you have to have a 360 degree view of what's going on around you, or you're done. You know, like you, like you said, you your weekend's over. You're not winning that
1: race. I think uh, most of the top drivers in Formula Drift have very good spatial relations with their car knowing where bumpers are where the front quarter is um that spatial spatial relation to other vehicles or walls it's something unlike anything else it's very unique motorsport i think it's finally getting the recognition that it deserves um it's it's definitely very much different than traditional racing and not everybody understands it but it's undeniable, undeniably entertaining to watch
0: absolutely so when you were building your first competitive car in high school, which is is so neat that you started so early, what were you looking for in that car? Um, you know, how did you convert whatever regular car you were working with into something that was drift racing
1: quality? Well, actually, that car was more just like a drag car. So it wasn't a competitive Formula D car. At that point, I was just looking for something that was Affordable, turbocharged, and something easy to upgrade. And I I chose uh, a DSM, like a Mitsubishi Eclipse, because at the time, um, you know, you could get a lot out of a little investment uh, with that. Um, I actually didn't build my first drift car until uh, 2005 when I entered uh, the Just Drift, local drift series here in Southern California, which was an RX-7 actually.
0: So then when you are doing your Formula Drift racing, uh, what kind of car do you use for that? And what is your connection like with that vehicle with maintaining and upgrading that car?
1: I run – I currently run a 2018 uh, Roush Performance Ford Mustang. It has a Coyote uh, Illuminator engine in it, which is a Ford Performance crate engine with a Roush Performance supercharger. It uh, pushes out about 1,000 horse to the crank. And that is something that I built uh, here at my shop hotline. Uh, You know, it's definitely a a love and hate relationship. Um, It's, you know, like any good relationship, there's good times and there's bad. But uh, it's, you know, it's finally getting to where I want it to be. It's a very competitive car. Uh, It's very simple in terms of um, drift cars. There's, There's definitely some teams that... Run some really crazy stuff really crazy engines really crazy wiring I really try to focus on what the necessities of a drift car are number one. I want it to look good Number two, it needs to have the essentials to work uh, and be competitive Um, Obviously good power Good cooling capabilities And really good suspension Um, So fortunately that kind of brings us to the relationship with cnr Um, you know, I have great power delivery with the Ford performance engine and the rouse supercharger making like a thousand horsepower at the crank um the suspension we've actually built in-house um so we know that's top notch no i'm just kidding um but it, it, it does work really really good um uh, and it's taken some time to develop that but um cooling was was one of those things that i kind of just attacked with the best ability that i could um I, I did choose some CNR parts off the you know off-the-shelf stuff to make work I didn't re- actually realize the capabilities that CNR has um, and I definitely didn't utilize uh, them to the full extent uh, extent that I that I could have until I actually met some of the engineers and, and the owner uh, keys which was pretty cool um, you know I just used an off-the-shelf radiator off-the-shelf heat exchanger and you uh, I I built my own shroud and and used spowl fans, actually. Um, So I was using all the good components. I just wasn't maximizing it. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate to meet uh, some of the engineers that I currently work with um, on on these projects, these new projects. And uh, one of the guys is Jack, and man, he just knocks it out of the park. You know, I I give him a little bit, and he just kind of takes it to the next level of designing these things and... Like I said, I didn't realize that that wasn't even an option to do custom-designed radiators. I mean, off-the-shelf stuff works really good, but talk about the guys going to the next level and maximizing uh, the system to be the most efficient that it can be. I mean, going from the -the off-the-shelf setup that I had designed to a purpose-built design that uh, the guys came up with, we knocked the temperature's down 30 degrees operating temps, which, you know, keeping everything cooler, that's free horsepower.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I I love that you were able to make that connection with a company that valued your hands-on nature with maintaining and upgrading the car. And do you feel that with drift racing that a lot of drivers are that hands-on with making sure that all the parts and pieces in their car are really specialized and going to get exactly what they want out of the performance? Or is that something that you think is kind of unique to you?
1: I feel like I'm i am on the smaller list of guys that are very intimate with their car. Um, I do have a couple buddies that you know, I definitely vibe really well with because they are very hands-on and they build their own stuff and they're very in tuned with what's on their car. And then there's the teams that are not so much in tuned where they basically just rely on like an engineer, uh, you know, a car engineer to develop their program and and pick the right parts and they focus on other things. Um, And Sometimes that works uh, as long as the guys that you have working for you are doing their job and sometimes it, it doesn't and they chase their tail and spend a lot of money on things um, but you know that's for me, I work with a pretty limited budget and I try to stretch that as as best I can. I definitely like to have the best quality products on my car and um, spend money on the things that I feel are are valuable to um being competitive i definitely don't like wasting money on things that we don't necessarily need i mean like one in general is like i don't have a motorsports wiring harness in my car you know there's there's definitely teams that have motorsport wiring harnesses but you know we're running 30 45 seconds at a time back to back we're looking at you know a minute and a half and then the car comes back in for fuel and tires like that's the limiting factor in our sport is that you always have to come back in for tires at a minimum. And typically we just top off the fuel to keep things consistent. So we aren't running 24 hours. We aren't even running 10 hours. There's plenty of time to look over the car. I don't think certain systems are stressed as much as others. Um, So that's where I like kind of try to pick and choose like where I focus on having the best quality stuff and stuff that, you know, is um, good enough to, to get by and be competitive.
0: Well, you clearly know the ins and outs of your vehicle, and I think it's important that you found a partnership here that is on your same level, right? That is just as invested with the technicalities and the little intricacies of making sure your car reaches – maximum performance on a budget, you know, like making it, making it exactly what it needs to be without spending too much on the glamorous or the extra things, even though making sure it looks cool is important. I mean, you want to show up confident, um, on the track, uh, with a really dope looking car. Like I, I agree there. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's great that you have that partnership that empowers you to take command of
1: your, of, of your upgrading of your maintenance of your souping up. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's why it's such a good fit with CNR is, you know, being to their facility and seeing, you know, all the people in the trenches doing their jobs and everybody has a little, uh, you know, piece of the pie on, on on making these. I mean, they're like works of art when those the, the heat exchangers and the radiators and all their cooling um, accessories, when they're done, they're legitimately like works of art. They have some talented individuals working there.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think it helps too, that you're as invested. Um, you know, it, ma- it makes it that team effort. It's a collaboration.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's super smooth yeah. working with those guys. Um, you know, just going from like a sketch on a napkin, basically. Uh, I'm not I, like, I mean, basically like, um, this, this last project that we worked on a radiator for one of my, um, rock crawlers, I sketched something out basically on a piece of paper bouncing down the road in my toter home um, while my wife was driving, going to the next event. I sent it over to uh, Jack, one of the engineers um, at CNR. He drew it up on CAD, sent it back to me. I scribbled a couple more notes on it and got got the radiator back and it legitimately slipped right into place, um, which is like mind-blowing that it, it's almost that easy, you know?
0: Yeah, right, right. That's that's got to be a great feeling. So I, I want to elaborate a little bit more on some of the actual tech that's in there. Can you uh, tell me a little bit more about how a double pass system and having a rear-mounted system on your cars uh, benefits when you're out on the track?
1: Yeah, definitely. So a double pass is basically um, you're running the fluid through the radiator twice instead of one pass. Um, that basically makes sure that you're pulling as, extracting as much heat out of the coolant as possible. Um, so we do that just because um, the the amount of fluid that we have in the system being a rear mount is a little bit more. And also, um, you don't need like a ton of, like we aren't flowing like a ton. So the the double pass and having it go through the radiator twice, the, that amount of time doesn't really affect anything other than gives us the greater benefit of pulling uh, as much heat out of the coolant as possible. Um, the rear mount radiator is mainly, well, it's a common, combination of things. One, um, the weight distribution, uh, it helps having more weight in the rear, um, to, to help even things out. We try to get closer to a 50, 50 ratio. So that, that extra weight on uh, the rear definitely doesn't hurt anything. Um, two, we're going sideways. So, you don't necessarily get a lot of airflow across the front of the car. You really, with, a, with, with as much angle as what I try to drive in or with, you get a lot more airflow over the side of the car. So the way that I have the rear window set up where it's like a half window actually seems like I get a lot of airflow over the back of the car into the pocket in front of the radiator. Um, and then three, the radiator being in the back, you have more capacity because you're running dash 20 lines all the way to the back so you have all the capacity of the lines underneath the car um, to add to the capacity of the system. And then also, it makes for the best setup. And, you know, the cooling is just unreal. I mean, you know, I have some old schoolers that come up and be like, man, why do you put the radiator in the rear? You get no airflow. And it's like, to be honest, with the design, I could probably block off the top of the car. And it the, the sizing of the radiator, the thickness, the core that's used the fans and how much they pull, there's really no need for, I mean, just the unit by itself in an enclosed, confined um, the compartment would probably cool it plenty efficiently. I, I love that. Yeah, I mean,
0: it, it sounds like it's really improving your performance. And I think that brings me to my next point is, why do you think it's so important to have that hands-on look at your own vehicle? Uh, I mean, I know that probably other racers make it work having a team sort of do that aspect of it for them. But why do you think it's important for you to have a hands-on look at all of the pieces that are going into your car and knowing the ins and outs of how all the technology really helps you perform
1: better? Well, one, I mean, first, I'm just kind of, personally, I'm kind of a nerd about that stuff. I like learning about the technologies that are in the car. I mean, I love you know, talk and shop with the engineers that are building this stuff and just learning, like, teaching myself more to better myself to understand all the different systems in the car. Same with, like, the engine stuff and the suspension stuff. I just genuinely am interested in that, and I like learning from people that know more about certain systems than I do. Um, but two, there's not going to be anything lost in translation, If a driver isn't in tune with their car, if something is going on with it, they're trying to translate what they're feeling to whoever's trying to sort out that issue. With me, it's like direct to to consumer. I mean, like there's no translation because I'm the one seat of the pants feeling it. If there's anything that's not dialed in with a car, you know, I'm right there feeling it or, you know, I'm right there looking at the gauges or or whatever it may be. Um, so that, I think, definitely helps out with sorting through any issues that that we have in the car or even making things be- better. Because, you know, I can look at data. I can look at the gauges. You know, if the car's getting hot right coming off the track, then I realize, like, hey, we may have a cooling issue or whatnot. Or, you know, if, if something binds up in the suspension, I can feel that and kind of diagnose, like, where that might be coming from. And like I said, uh, drivers that don't have that mentality they're trying to basically tell that to somebody and that person is you know separated from the situation trying to figure it out um, I, th- I feel it's it's much more efficient um just being like uh more involved uh, uh you know hands-on yeah no
0: and and you are that point of contact in the vehicle right i mean you know exactly how to relate hey there's an issue here let's get this sorted out quickly Um, you're not wasting time trying to figure something out when, uh, you know, because you are part of the process, you are part of making sure that all the pieces in there are working and you know, the ins and outs. And that's, I I think that's really special. I think it creates a, a a better connection with your vehicle too. You know, you, you have a more personal sense of
1: responsibility over it as well. Absolutely. I mean, when, when the car's working, right, it, it feels like an extension of my body. Um, I mean, because really To be throwing down the type of runs that, you know, the judges are expecting in Pro 1 drifting, um, you have to be completely in tuned with the car. You need to know that when you want to put the car in a a certain position on the track or, like, inches or even, like, touching the wall or inches away from the front bumper or, like, barely grazing a, a clipping point, that... When you ask the car to do something, it immediately responds with the, the proper like response of what you're looking for. Definitely.
0: So I wanted to know, are there formula drift standards for your vehicle that it can't surpass? I guess, you know, the fact that you can soup up so much of your car to get it to peak performance, does that, I mean, I'm guessing everyone has that ability. Is there sort of like a a cap where, oh, no, you can't put that engine into the car because
1: it would be unfair or something like that? That's actually a really interesting question that you bring up. I think Just recently, there was an article, I think, released by Jalopnik, um, which I don't know if that's, you know, how reliable that is. But it was an interesting article where basically they mentioned that Formula Drift is basically, like, the least regulated motorsport currently. It's kind of like the old Can-Am stuff where it was, like, big hot rod motors not much chassis, and just like run what you brung sort of deal. Now, there's definitely safety standards with our cars. I mean, they're pretty stringent, um, you know, fully welded tubes, uh, very inclusive roll cage and, and certain things that you can and can't do with that. So safety standards are definitely up and, um, and that sort of thing. But when it comes to like engine and drivetrain, I mean, honestly, you could put whatever you want in your car. Um, I choose what I use because, one, it's, I think, more approachable for an end user. Um, I think you could take my engine setup and put it in basically anything, and it's pennies on the dollar compared to some of the other um, engine platforms that are out there. Um, But, you know, like cooling system is pretty much unregulated suspension is regulated on the inboard side but on the outboard side um like your knuckles and that sort of thing you are completely free to develop whatever you want um and like i said again on like the engine stuff you could stuff a big block in or you know a rocket engine in it basically as you as long as you could prove that it's safe um but i mean there's even talks of people going electric motors, uh, in the future. So it's, it's pretty unregulated on drivetrain stuff, cooling, brakes, and suspension to some extent. Chassis, uh, modification is, is limited. You can't run a tube chassis. It has to be like a unibody. Roll cage can only tie into certain points, uh, that doesn't give you any chassis or mechanical advantage on certain things. Um, but it's it's very like a, a wild west motorsport. I mean, it's that's that's the beauty of it. You know, you there's so many different approaches to building a competitive drift car um, that we're fairly unregulated on it. Uh, the, anything that doesn't give you some crazy competitive advantage, like chassis or suspension side, like well, you can't have cock, uh, cockpit adjustable suspension. Um, like electronically adjustable suspension or anything like that. Something that you could change in between runs to either speed up or slow down the car um, suspension-wise because that's a that's a pretty good advantage if you're going tandem. But engine-wise, I mean, th- the only thing that's really limiting, I think, people from putting top-fuel dragster engines is, one, num- one, one uh, money, but two – We're still playing with DOT tires. So we are limited on how much tire we can, like, physically can run. And we're barely getting two laps out of it as it is. So adding more horsepower is not really the thing that we're looking for um, personally in our program. More, it's still continuing to dial in the suspension. And, um, you know, two, just uh, having a consistent... You know engine set up and cooling set up where you 're not going to have any type of mechanical failures that could potentially cost you an event right, right
0: well, you know I think it 's cool that there's so much room to experiment with parts and pieces. Uh, it sort of lets people take command of their vehicle and because there isn 't a really strict standard for you know you can 't have this you can 't have this in your vehicle. It lets people experiment and lets people find new ways to improve the racing. And then, if someone comes up with some miraculous new thing that makes their car that much better, then everyone is going to try to match it. And so, it's uh, you know, it's not it's not unfair. It just sort of sets a new standard. And I think that's fun. And especially with you having um, such direct control over everything that's in your car and having CNR to back you up with that unique product to really fit the necessities and the specificities that you want um it's definitely going to give you an upper hand which is cool so i really want to thank you for coming on the podcast justin and giving us this inside look at souping up a racing vehicle um some of the some of the reasons why you do it what makes you passionate about it and uh, some of the some of the cool stuff around the corner
1: absolutely no i really appreciate the opportunity it's been great talking yeah definitely
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.